Mortimer, episode 16. Thank you for tuning in to Mortimer, a book written by M.W. Cedars and narrated by Michael Drew. The theme music was written and performed by Danny Torgerson. Mortimer is an entire novel that you may decide to read in print or digital form. Yet each episode of this audio podcast is broken up into a serial of sorts for your enjoyment. We hope you enjoy this duty-free audio presentation of Mortimer. It really tickles my fancy to hear stories. Oh, I just love stories. If someone tries to interrupt my listening time, I will just slug them. Meanwhile downstairs, the dancing crowd were becoming more and more out of control. Milfred was on the coffee table, gyrating her hips in an astonishingly unladylike manner. She had Mr. Longhorn's full attention, and he stared at her in shock. Mrs. Longhorn looked jealously over at her husband. "'What are you staring at?' "'What?' he muttered. She slapped him. The mansion was almost shaking with music. The dancing mob spilled out into the halls. "'Frank, stop it!' giggled the blonde. Frank chased her down the foyer. Melfred wailed from the coffee table. I know how to party too! Herbert called into the hallway from the mansion. Frank zipped by, shrieking like a wild hyena. I have an announcement to make! came a loud voice from the lounge. The guests began to swerve, twirl, swirl, and spin into the lounge to satisfy their curiosity. The room was packed and the overflow went into the hallway. John Adams had a cigar in one hand and an envelope in the other. He was standing on the coffee table that only moments ago had been Milford's stage. I dedicate this fine evening to my dear nephew, Mortimer Ascariot. The room filled with the roar of applause. Mortimer was drenched in sweat, and much to his disgust, Mrs. Longhorn was draped across his lap. The old woman yelled, causing the house to fill with applause again. I have, in the very palm of my hand, Mortimer's ticket to manhood. Is it a gun? Jeb bellowed. Of course not. Guns don't fit in envelopes. (laughs) Is it money? A girl asked hopefully. I'd love some money. Shh! Let him finish! My friend... I present to you a ticket. Not just any ticket, but a ticket that will refine, train, and masculinize our dear, sweet Mortimer. Mortimer is man enough for me, oh, sighed the girl in a pale blue dress. Lily Lou and Percy came into the room the moment John tore open the envelope. In my hand is a ticket to board a ship. That will bring young Mortimer to Africa for a life-changing safari. Woo! The room roared with approval. Lily Lou's jaw dropped. Was this her father's doing? Was he trying to remove Mortimer from her once and for all? 
Had this happened two hours ago, she would have been devastated. But now, everything had changed. She was not devastated. In fact, it was quite perfect. Mrs. Dixon looked at her friends. Did you know about this? Neville, Mrs. Peabody and Millie shook their heads, equally dumbfounded. To celebrate Muatima's departure on the great wide sea, let's dance the night away. John Adams was jubilant. Steve, turn up the phonograph. The room filled with music again and the floor shook. Mortimer was congratulated and touched by almost every single person in the room. He cringed with each pat and wondered if he might vomit. Millie tugged on Neville's coat sleeve. The ice cream truck's here. Mrs Dixon, the truck is here. Neville called into her ear. The ice cream truck? She shot back in anger. Felinda, come with me. Mortimer ploughed through the crowd and burst into the hallway just in time to see his nanny, butler, cook and maid running toward the kitchen. His moustache trembled in curiosity and he turned to follow them. I've got even better moves on this wood floor, Herbert called from the hallway. He did a spin and kicked his leg into the air. Ah! He cried out involuntarily as his hamstring seized in a spasm. Several girls in the foyer giggled as he hunched over and rubbed his leg. The noise from the party grew in intensity as Morris made his way up the drive. He parked by the back door, which opened the minute he shut off the engine. He glanced over his shoulder into the darkness of the Iscariot lawn, pleased that the idiot police character hadn't followed him. He was going to make this delivery and get out of town with his girl and away from that stupid cop. "'How you doing, sissy?' He pulled the blanket up and peeked down at the woman behind the seat. You're going to pay for this? Just five more minutes. We've got to make the delivery and then you and I are off to the country. Yeah, yeah. You just stay there. He dropped the blanket back onto her. I can't breathe down here. Then stop talking. You're using up all the air. Morris grinned at the man in the suit who crossed the lawn toward the truck. Ice cream delivery? You do realise you are over five hours late, the man spoke with a British accent. Oh, sounds to me like the party's still going on. A black woman came marching after the butler with an older woman wearing a white apron in tow. What's the meaning of this? The angry woman stopped a full inch away from Morris's face. I'm going to call your manager. Whoa, lady, who do you think you are? Don't speak to Mrs Dixon like that. The British man straightened his shoulders. Look, I've had a hard night. Here's your ice cream. Take it or leave it. Uh, we're absolutely not taking it. What do you mean you're not taking it? We had an order for ice cream due to arrive no later than four o'clock. So I'm a little late. Th that doesn't mean you can't still enjoy the ice cream. But half our guests have already left. But the half that remains will love what I have here. There's a new flavour of chocolate back there and it'll knock your socks off. I do love chocolate. The older woman looked at her friends, hopefully. No, Felinda, we are not accepting a delivery that's five hours late. I bet it's all melted anyway. Morris couldn't argue that possibility. Look, my boss will be pretty miffed if I don't drop off the ice cream. It's a real waste. You should have thought of that before you decided to show up five hours. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm late. You've made your point. This night was turning out to be an even bigger disaster than he thought possible. How about this? I'll give it to you for half price. We prepaid. 
The woman called Mrs. Dixon shot back. Get out of here and you better start looking for a new job because I'm going to call your manager tomorrow and he isn't going to be happy to hear that his delivery boy failed on a job of this size. The explosion of a gunshot resonated into the night. What the hell? Morris looked behind Mrs. Dixon. We got a problem, Mrs. D. A large silhouette of a man wearing a cowboy hat stood in the doorway to the house holding a smoking rifle. Jeb! Put that gun away. Who has a gun? Came the muffled voice. Morris, get me out of here. Mrs. Peabody put the back of her hand to her forehead. She's going down. Neville jumped to catch the woman as she passed out. The engine of the truck roared into life. Terrified, Morris cranked the steering wheel and the tires spun, kicking up gravel as the truck tore down the drive. Come back here. Mrs. Dixon ran a few steps forward, her fist in the air. I wasn't done berating you! Little did she know, however, that the truck was not only unsuccessful with its delivery, but its sudden departure had also taken something that, for all intents and purposes, belonged to her. The gunshot echoed down the tree-lined street, and the sound entered the window of the patrol car. Orange felt his heart thudding in his chest like a military drum corps as his dilapidated car heaved and hoed up the country hill. He knew it. He just knew it. That nefarious crook in the ice cream truck had to be a felon, and now he'd killed some innocent civilian. Probably some young chap walking his pooch. Or even worse, maybe it was an old couple out for an evening stroll. Their blood was on his hands. Orange had let a cold-blooded murderer escape. Feeling depressed and sick to his stomach, Orange reluctantly followed the sound of the explosion. The search led him onto one of the richest streets in the county. What was he going to do when he nabbed the ice cream driver? Try to reason with him? Make threats? Or perhaps he could just whack him atop the head and throw him in the trunk? Orange dragged his sleeve across his sweaty forehead. No chance of a successful whack if the guy still had his gun. Orange hadn't earned gun status yet, so all he had to work with was a police baton and an extremely loud whistle. He had to think of a plan. He must anxiously, as he moved up Charleston Drive, his eyes peeled for the truck. After several moments, Orange heard sounds of music and laughter. He saw light coming from the windows of an impressive mansion on the left, the Iscariot Mansion, owned by the wealthiest family in South Carolina and possibly the United States. They must be having a party, Orange thought as he drove up to the gate, where a pair of guards stood, looking bored. I'm going to need through, boys. There was a long pause, and then the guard on the right looked at the one on the left. We're going to need some identification. I'm a police officer. I'm in a patrol car. Bah, it's all fine and dandy. The other guard puffed his chest in self-importance. But we still need to see identification, the first declared. Master's orders. Orange dug around in his pockets for his wallet and thrust it toward the guards. What had gotten into the people of this town? Herbert was dancing like he had the energy of a great Dane puppy. He was about as coordinated, too. He grabbed a girl passing by and twisted her into a spin. Oh, Peg, you shake it, her friends cried out. Herbert was encouraged by a small group that had started to form around him. He danced, he shook, he kicked, and he twisted. Peg tried to keep up, but after several moments, she laughed and started to back away. Not so fast, Herbert was manic. He grabbed both of her arms and started to spin her. Woo! 
The crowd jeered. Incensed, Herbert went faster and faster. The music was a blurred frenzy. Wow, look at them go. Why, they're going so fast they're going to fly off the ground. Peg, look, look out. A concerned voice pitched above the din, but Herbert was far too excited. He spotted Helen as she emerged from the lounge with Frank. Showing off, Herbert picked up speed. His hands were damp and she began to slip from his grasp, but he wasn't about to back down. Almost every guest at the party was crowded in a large circle around Herbert and his dance partner. Go, 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 the crowd chanted with unrefined glee. Mrs. Dixon burst through the kitchen doors after her altercation with the ice cream driver, just in time to see Herbert lose his grip. The blonde flew across the room and landed square on top of Mrs. Iscariot, who had been holding a full glass of punch. The punch was launched into the air and rained down red liquid all over the crowd of people. At that moment, Herbert lost his balance and flew backwards. No! Neville's hand shot impotently forward, but it was too late. Herbert tripped, twisted, and leapt in a sloppy attempt to stay upright, but his body slammed into the table-made sequoia-made boat-made table, crushing it on impact. Boards splintered, glass shattered, and the coffee set, china, dishes, and pots flew across the room, smashing against walls, floors, and guests. Herbert's limp body lay in a heap on the floor. A gaggle of screeching, lugubrious women rushed instantly to Herbert's side. Another shriek resonated from the lounge. Police! Police raid! Let's get out of here! Mass chaos ensued. Mrs. Dixon flattened her back against the door as the most refined, austere and puritanical that the South had to offer ran amuck, screaming and staggering. Some jumped out of the windows, others poured out of the back door. Peg, the woman Herbert had thrown, jumped up, quite intact, thanks to the woman who'd cushioned her fall. She looked around the room and joined in the fray as she galloped toward the back exit. Pressing against the flow of escaping guests, Millie dashed to Mrs. Iscariot's side and helped her to her hands and knees, only to be shoved over by Milfred, who lumbered past, hollering after her parents. "'Are you quite all right, Mrs. Iscariot?' Millie asked with concern. The old woman shook her head and then tipped it up to peer wide-eyed at the younger girl. Surrounded by darkness and the sweet aroma of chocolate, strawberry and vanilla, Mortimer plopped down. The volume of his weight caused the back of the truck to shift and groan in response. Fortunately, his intrusion was largely unnoticed, for outside it sounded like a wall was breaking out. One voice Mortimer recognised as belonging to his nanny, but the other Mortimer had never heard in his life. Not that he paid much attention to people as a whole. Quite often there was a person with whom Mortimer had been acquainted for some time, and upon encountering this should-be-familiar person, Mortimer would not recognise them. It wasn't his fault, really, for he did not necessarily try to ignore people, but rather he just wasn't that interested. He could care less about what people had to say, and he found no interest in trite obligatory gatherings like what he'd just suffered through. Curious, Mortimer began to sniff the boxes that surrounded him. The one to his right smelled wonderfully like chocolate, while the one to his left had a rich vanilla aroma. There was a sound of a gunshot outside, and ignoring this, Mortimer leaned over and began to fondle the cold boxes stacked around him. His mouth began to fill with saliva as he tore open the chocolate-smelling box. "'Well, hello there, my melted strumpet!' Mortimer exclaimed into the blackness. 
The engine of the truck roared into life and lunged forward. The movement tipped Mortimer, and the ice cream flew out of his hands. Hey! he cried out, pushing up to regain his balance. His voice box shook as the truck rumbled quickly down the cobblestone drive. Mortimer reached for another box blindly, and without thinking, he quickly tore off the lid. He was not disappointed by the contents. Since he lacked a proper spoon, Mortimer did what any logical fellow would have done under the circumstances. He smashed his face into the box of ice cream and began to suck. Officer Orange quickly parked outside the Iscariot mansion. After taking a deep breath, he straightened his pants and walked up the garden path to the front door. He saw a flutter in the curtain at the large bay window and could hear the roar of music and frantic shouts. What in heaven's name's going on in there? Oh, is this how the gentry behave after hours? Orange cleared his throat and rang the bell. More screams and shouts. Since no one answered, Orange strained his ears and put his head against the door. He was curious as to what was going on inside, but the sounds of chaos prevented him from discerning any words people were saying. He knocked. Then he heard footsteps to his side and saw a mass of people running toward a fleet of parked cars. You there! Wait a moment! Sorry! No time! Several engines roared to life, but it was too dark for Orange to identify the cars or their owners. Behind him he heard more shouts and he whipped around to see people running in the moonlight. Where are you going? His voice was either unnoticed or largely ignored. Orange needed answers, so he went back to the house and rang the bell again. To his surprise, a man in a black suit opened the door. He looked down his thin nose at Orange. How may I help you, sir? The man spoke with an accent. Orange made a mental note. I'm Officer Orange, he held out his badge. I'm going to need to ask you a few questions. It's after ten o'clock. Oh, I do believe it will be much more convenient for you to return in the morning. The man began to close the door, but Orange stopped him with his hand. May I speak to the master of the house? The man hesitated for a moment, but then, with a hefty thrust, the butler pushed the door shut in the young officer's face. Orange stood alone in the darkness, shocked, and stared at the closed door. I'm sure I lost my bracelet somewhere. Mrs. Longhorn allowed her husband to pull her along the twists and turns of the trails leading between the Ascariot Manor and their home. I'll buy you a new one. He grabbed her hand and spun her in the moonlight. You look dashing without it anyway. Oh, Leo! Mrs. Longhorn giggled. He leaned down to kiss her, and she put her hand to his chest, hesitating. I, I feel like we've forgotten something. I have all I need here in my arms. Oh, Leo! She blushed. You haven't spoken to me like that since we were... We, why, since we were courting. Well, it's time we started again. Don't you remember the good old days? Hurry now. The house is just ahead. Of course I do, darling. But what about the car? I'll send Ivan to fetch it. Later. Mr. Longhorn felt like a boy again, running home from a party in the middle of the night with a beautiful woman in tow. Smiling happily, Mrs. Longhorn let her husband's words repeat in her mind. What a wonderful party! She sighed with pleasure and Mrs. Longhorn allowed her husband to guide her home. "'You really messed up this time!' Sissy spat out, 
as she flung her scantily clad body over the bench. She landed upside down, her legs sprawling out in all directions. Get your gams out of my way, I can hardly see a thing, Morris swatted at the woman's flailing appendages. Don't you talk to me like that, she screeched. You promised me a weekend in the country, and instead we get interrogated by the police and shot at. Oh, I knew hanging with you would only lead to trouble. You're being dramatic, Morris shot over at the blonde. Then he started to growl. That good-for-nothing Negro and her posse of idiots. Oh, I've a mind to bump the lot of them off. Murder! Sissy grabbed Morris's arm. Don't you do it, Morris. Don't you dare ruin my life like that. Pipe down. Are you taking me for a ride? Her tears welled up. Are you going to bump me off? Is that what this is all about? She was in full-fledged tears now. Are you wanted by the police? Shut your mouth. We're going to dump the cream back at the factory, act like nothing's happened. Then you and me will have our weekend in the country. You don't mean it. I mean it, Morris cursed. Like it or not, we're going on this trip if it's the last thing I do. Mortimer had successfully and miraculously lapped up the contents of six boxes of ice cream, three of which, to Mortimer's absolute joy, had been chocolate, two were strawberry, and one a decadent vanilla. Mortimer felt giddy from all of the sugar, but his stomach ached terribly. The truck bounced over a particularly large pothole, causing Mortimer's insides to churn. In response, he belched massively. The sound echoed off the walls of the refrigerator section in the back of the truck. Well, that quite did the trick. Mortimer was delighted at the sudden improvement in his digestion. Reaching greedily for another box, Mortimer wagged his tongue around his mouth in order to lick the sticky cream off. He tore open the seventh box. He took a sniff. Wonderful! More chocolate! Before digging in, however, there was something extremely important that needed to be done. With a groan, Mortimer reached down and unbuttoned his pants. His gurgling gut fell out and began to jiggle in his lap. Oh, much better, Mortimer declared with satisfaction. Come here, you chocolate vixen! What on earth are the police doing here? Mrs. Dixon looked frantically about the foyer. The mansion was a disastrous mess. A groan came from the dining room, and Millie popped her head out. He's still alive, Mrs. Dixon. When Herbert crashed through the table, he'd been surrounded by a group of concerned women. But at the mention of the word police, they'd all run from the house screaming. For a rumour had been spreading throughout the party that Mrs. Peabody's punch was spiked, and the police arrival had all but confirmed their fears. Oh, that's just fine, Mrs. Dixon was distracted. The phonograph still blasted music, but the house was virtually empty. The only remaining evidence of a party was overturned tables, chairs, splattering of pink punch and piles of plates, clothing articles and various debris. He seemed quite insistent on speaking with someone this evening, Neville reminded her. I do not believe he will go willingly. Perhaps this is a sign that there are things to discuss. Mrs. Dixon ignored Neville's covert suggestion for her to tell the police officer about their blackmailer. We've done nothing wrong. The police have no reason to be here. Mrs. Dixon ignored the pounding in her chest and picked up several cups and handed them to Neville. We just had a little party, it's all. Little is hardly the appropriate word. A man fell through a table. I suspect your craftsmanship had something to do with that. I wasn't the one that made him spin that young girl around.' 
"'But a table that size should not have capsized under that skinny little man's weight. "'Well, I estimate that he weighs oh, at least a hundred and fifty pounds,' Neville insisted. "'Listen to me.' Mrs. Dixon stuck her finger in his face. Get Philinda to take care of that man in the dining room. I'll see what this police officer wants. He asked for the master of the house. Well, she's in bed now, isn't she? Indeed, Neville agreed. And Master Mortimer seems to have retired also. He didn't even bother to thank his dear sweet nanny for the party. Mrs. Dixon pouted as she clopped down the hallway in her high-heeled shoes. The door opened, and a dark-skinned woman looked down at Orange impatiently. "'May I help you?' "'Police,' Orange presented his badge, hopefully. "'I need to speak to the master of the house.' "'I am the master of the house at present, as the mistress is under the weather, and the young master has gone to bed for the evening.' Orange bit his tongue. It was highly unusual for a coloured woman to run a mansion. However, the way she glowered at him made him feel like a schoolboy. He cleared his throat. <clears> "'Ahem.' <throat> I heard a gunshot. But I can hardly help you with that, young man. Well, it came from this direction. Orange pushed at the door. I'm going to need to take a look around. Upon seeing a glimpse into the entryway, he all but choked on his own tongue. What in heaven's name happened in here? The woman pushed the door back against his prying eyes. Is it illegal for one's home to be a little messy? A little messy? It looks like there was a raid in here. Orange pushed again. I insist on looking around. I have reason to believe that there is a felon on the loose. This got her attention. Black eyebrows raised. Excuse me? Yes. In an attempt to maintain a small shred of dignity, Orange abandoned his impotent assault against the door. Instead, he nodded, encouraged at the woman's interest in his claim. A man driving an ice cream truck. He resisted arrest. I'm concerned that he may be dangerous. Her expression surprised him. She lowered her voice. He was here. The man in the truck was supposed to be making a delivery, but he was many hours late. He was causing problems on the property, and my mistress's brother fired a warning shot. There was a gunshot? Yes. The driver took off after that. You only missed him by, well, about ten minutes. Oh, which way did he go? Orange felt his heart kick up in his chest. Oh, he went down the drive and turned right. My guess is he's heading back to town. Orange was already running down the steps. I'll take care of this, ma'am. Thank you. The shaking, bouncing and jiggling of the truck and Mortimer's gorged gullet came to a sudden stop. Mortimer's slippery tongue shot out of his mouth and wiped greedily around his vanilla-laden lips. For fear of tarnishing his meticulous jacket, he used a bit of torn cardboard to wipe down his forehead, cheeks, nose and chin. Then he twisted around and quietly pushed the back doors open. With a vigorous thrust from his hindquarters, he flopped out of the back compartment and onto the ground. Oomph! Pushing up on all fours, Mortimer looked about him in the darkness and spotted some bushes ahead. Hearing the door to the truck shut and ignoring the rumbling protests of his intestinal tract, Mortimer crawled into the safety of the shrubbery that edged the sidewalk along the harbour. John Adams hummed to himself as he pulled off his coat and tie. He staggered to the vanity and fell into the chair before it. An attractive man looked back from the reflection of the mirror. 
Well, hello there, Mr. President, slurred John. He slumped forward to get a closer look. Quite dapper you are. Oh, yeah, dapper, dapper, dapper. <laughs> you are quite handsome, a voice purred. His fingers were the size of sausages, and the man in the mirror fumbled clumsily with the buttons of his shirt. Pesky little bastards. Here, let me help. You should get Mrs. President to take them off for you. John groped himself helpfully. The man in the reflection spilled into a fit of giggles as the fingers about his body multiplied. He face-planted onto the vanity table. Mr. President. John popped up again, erupting in sniggers. How do you come to such a lustrous possession? Twas Africa, came the triumphant reply. Only three options. One, get a signature, signing com company away on a new contract I made myself. No, 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 no luck there, no. John shook his dizzy head. Tell, find the certificate of ownership hidden by my blockhead brother. Uh, three, uh, three. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Mr. Spooker, Mr. Vice President, members of Congress, my fellow Americans. John began to launch into his State of the Union address. Giving up on unbuttoning his shirt, he pushed up and stumbled toward a four-poster bed that was on the opposite end of the superfluously exotic bedroom. He flopped down on the blanket and sighed happily. Tomorrow, at this time, Mortimer would be on the high seas. This filled John with delight. Sure, Plan A had failed, as well as Plan B, but Plan C was unbeatable. The board knew that Mortimer was a bumbling lame brain, and him failing to show up two times in a row would seal his fate, leaving John as the only remaining functional Ascariot. The company would finally be his, and he would be taking his first important steps on the way to his inevitable presidency. He loves his stupid little belts so much, John muttered aloud. We'll see how he feels aboard a real seafaring ship. Chuckling, John's eyes grew heavy with sleep. And then Wolfberger will see he's completely incompetent, and I'll be put in charge once and for all. Learn more at www.mortimabook.com. Copyright 2022, M.W. Cedars. Written by M.W. Cedars, the author's pseudonym, audiobook performance by Michael Drew. Neither this author nor affiliates, comrades, patriots, or associates are engaged in rendering professional or non-professional advice, services, recommendations, or any other suggestions of any kind to the individual reader. This book is purely fiction and all opinions and all likenesses of characters, industries, cities, or associations with any place or anyone you know are purely coincidental. Thank you for subscribing to Mortimer, a book written by M.W. Cedars and narrated by Michael Drew. The theme music was written and performed by Danny Torgerson. Be sure to download the next episode.